The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Welcome to River Cafe Table 4, a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. I remember turning to you once and you said to me, well, Ruthie, how many people do you employ? And I very proudly said, I employ 110 people, Bob. How many do you employ? And you said, how many? There was like 200,000. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> Say the name Bob Iger to me, and I think of my good friend who cares passionately about what he cooks, the vegetable garden outside his kitchen, and what he feeds his children, grandchildren, and the people who work with him. Say the name Bob Iger, the former CEO and chairman of the board of Disney, and everyone will think of the man who acquired Pixar, Lucasfilms, and Marvel, giving the world some of our most loved movies. There is much more Bob Iger has done for Disney and for us, and this is what we're going to talk about today. I was very involved in the food program at our parks, and not only have we hired a lot of great chefs, but we also have quite a wine program. We, we believe we're the largest buyer and the largest seller of wine in the world, interestingly enough, which you wouldn't expect to hear about Disney. This recipe is for pasta al limone, 250 grams of spaghetti, the juice of three to four lemons, 150 milliliters of olive oil, 150 grams of Parmesan cheese, freshly grated, two handfuls of fresh basil leaves picked and chopped, and finely grated lemon zest. Cook the spaghetti, then drain thoroughly and return to the saucepan. Meanwhile, whisk the lemon juice with the olive oil, then stir in the Parmesan. It will melt into the mixture, making it thick and creamy. Season and add more or less lemon juice to taste. Add the sauce to the spaghetti and shake the pan so that each strand of the pasta is coated with the cheese. Stir in the chopped basil and a generous amount of lemon zest, and there you have it. Pasta al limone. Just hearing you read it, Taste of Summer, doesn't it? You've just woken up, haven't you? It's early there. We're in different time zones. Have you had breakfast? I did have breakfast, yes. Okay, tell me about your breakfast. I get up at 4.15 in the morning, so by 6 I'm starved. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a creature of habit when it comes to breakfast. I always have Greek yogurt and um, a nice portion of really good granola and a cup of coffee every day of the week, every week of the month and every month of the year. I do think you have a routine that's sort of lack of decision. You know, you wake up and let you know that's what you're going to have. It's quite, in a way, comforting, isn't it? That you just know yes. your day is yes. beginning in the same way. But I think of you as such an adventurous eater and a curious eater. Did you, going back to the beginning, begin at the beginning, what was it like growing up in your house? Did your parents cook? 
Well, interestingly enough, I, I live with uh, my my maternal grandmother and and my parents. Uh, my maternal grandmother lived with us, and she was from the old country. Mm-hmm. Which <laughs> so country? She was from Poland, mm-hmm. but she was a a nice Jewish grandmother. So her go to meals that are the most memorable were a pot roast and stuffed cabbage. Ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, were the two big ones, and um, and she liked to make matzo ball soup as well. But she also made a mean apple pie. Oh. Interestingly enough, my mother, who picked up some of her cooking abilities, was not very adventuresome. And, you know, in the 1950s in the United States, what was available was actually quite limited. We didn't have access to great fresh produce, at least not in New York. And supermarkets, even the big chains, didn't have great produce sections. I don't think you'd ever get fresh basil, for instance. And so a lot of what we ate were canned foods, canned peas and carrots and canned green beans and the like. Um, but uh, adventurous cooking was not my mother's middle name. She, she made some good desserts, but that was about it. Do you think that as an immigrant, you bring the food of your country? Because a lot of people I've spoken to, whether it's David Ajay talking about growing up as a Ghanaian in London, bringing that culture to the the society that you've moved in, which might be alien, might be frightening, might be anything, that the food that you have is part of what you bring with you as an immigrant. Absolutely. I think, you know, you bring a, you know, a good thick Eastern European accent and and a number of recipes. Yeah. Yeah. So did she do the cooking in your house? Was she the... She shared the cooking with my mother. Mm. Yes. But, but cooked often. And would you all sit down to a meal together? Was that a big Deal? We did. She died when I was 16, but she lived with me, you know, up until then. And she was always part of our family meals. Yes. What about your father? Did he cook? No, my father wasn't much of a cook, although I remember him making scrambled eggs for me on occasion in the morning. And he liked to make a good Jewish deli sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. he'd buy meat from the local deli and concoct great sandwiches. But beyond that, no. Um he loved a good hot dog, Nathan's Hot Dogs. Nathan's was the, the famous Coney Island hot dog emporium, and he loved that. But uh, he wasn't much of a cook. He was a trumpet player, huh? <laughs> not a cook. But he performed. Yes, he played occasionally in the house. He had sort of lost his lip mm. by the time I was born. Uh, he had played some professional trumpet in his day. Uh, but he took me to jazz concerts. I grew up listening to jazz and some great jazz players I saw. Louis Armstrong play. I saw Duke Ellington, for instance. um, And uh, that was a great influence on my life. And music is a a true love of my life, thanks to him. And his trumpet still sits in my office at home. Does it? Yeah. Yeah. So you grew up with this diet, which I think a lot of American, as you say, Americans in the 50s. So did you find food yourself when you went to college or when you went to... Interestingly enough, it started with a cookbook. My father collected a lot of books. And for some reason, we had a Life magazine book about food and included the great restaurants of the world in it at the time and uh, some recipes. And I decided to impress a college girlfriend uh, by cooking some Italian food for her. And I actually loved it. And then when I went into New York to begin work after college, I started cooking for myself quite avidly. And I ended up taking a cooking class, a number of lessons with a a French woman of, I think, Egyptian descent. Mm. And it was a Mediterranean cooking class. 
And uh, I fell in love with cooking. And then I ended up in, um, in jobs working for ABC Sports that took me around the world. And that's when I first got truly introduced to the world's food. Yeah, that exposure, again, going to different cultures and seeing it. But back to the girlfriend. I want to go back to that girl. Did cooking an Italian meal for her, <laughs> did that work? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, by the way, I think it was rather basic. Um, Do you remember what you cooked? Yes, it was a it was a pasta with vegetables, very basic. But I made my own. I guess it was a light tomato sauce. I remember making my own sauce for the first time and impressing myself. But I think I kind of used cooking as <laughs> as a means of the of, of of presenting myself as an, an attractive date to uh, folks. I remember actually when I met Willow, and I remember telling her that I cooked. She said, you cook? And her eyes lit up. Suddenly I was far more attractive once you discovered that. Exactly. And then when you started traveling, what was that like? Where would you travel to when you were working? Then you were exposed Well, I had quite an amazing experience because I started working for ABC Sports when I was 24 years old. And I worked there for 13 years. And I worked on a program called Wide World of Sports, which covered sporting events all over the world in rather exotic places as well, uh, including, you know, visiting Beijing in the late 70s and and South Africa and certainly all over Europe, but also Central and Eastern Europe and then the then Soviet bloc countries as well and Latin America. So there was almost no place that I didn't visit. It was quite it was quite amazing. And we lived well when we traveled and thus we ate well. and so I, you know, I remember going to Taiwan in Paris, which yeah. I had no business going to, yeah. by the way, but it was the thing to do. And uh, I remember the, the Hotel de Paris in, in Monte Carlo and trying to remember where I would have eaten. Oh, I remember there was a grill at the Connaught. Yes. Connaught yeah. In, Great room. In London. That was, that was, I remember having a steak there, the grill at the Hotel Connaught. And did you keep uh, cooking? I cooked Really, until I became CEO of Disney, which was in 2005, and I uh, and time management became a little bit more challenging, yeah. much to my wife's chagrin. But I, it's one of the things that I look forward to doing, having the time to cook more. And I love shopping for food, too. I love going to farmer's markets and discovering new things and tasting. And, and I've got guts to you know, pick up a book and pick mm. out a recipe. I, you know, I'm trying to remember. I've, I've cooked from a few River Cafe books a few times. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Help helps is a maxim I believe in. We all carry around stress and hardship, and when we keep it inside, it starts to chip away. Therapy is a safe place, and therapy is for everyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit betterhelp.com slash Ruthie today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ruthie. Betterhelp.com slash Ruthie. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. 
The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. Do you find it relaxing after working to cook? Yes, I find I it relaxing, incredibly therapeutic. And I, I must have a glass of red wine open <laughs> to sip from, and I like to listen to music. And I don't like intrusions. I like to take over the kitchen. I get that. So it's a long way from the cans of vegetables that you ate. Did your mother, did your mother and father, were they part of that explosion of food for you? Did you cook for them when they came to visit? I did cook for them. I tried to be a positive influence on them in terms of healthier eating, but I failed at that. Mm. <laughs> it's uh, interesting because my dad and mom both had heart conditions and bypass surgery in their 50s, early 50s, and I could never quite understand how it somehow or another didn't change their diet afterwards. <laughs> my father, I think, used to taunt me. We'd go to restaurants. If I took him to an Italian restaurant and I ordered the grilled salmon, maybe I would allow myself arugula and shaved parmesan, a rocket. <laughs> he would order spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> and then when the bread would come, he would wonder why there was olive oil and not butter. <laughs> Yeah, generational. But do you think about health a lot when you eat? I'm a very healthy eater. You know, mostly a Mediterranean diet, high in, in uh, seafood and low in carbs. Although I allow myself um, a, a good bowl of pasta every once in a while, and, and I passion of mine is pizza. I've been trying to hone my pizza-making skills. We have a nice pizza oven at the house. Mm. And so I've spent some time doing that. When you traveled, when you traveled for Disney later on, what was that like? Did people really try to give you the, their culture through food? Yes. I, first of all, it was always a priority of mine when I visited a city to find a good restaurant. And to, over time, because I visited a number of cities often, for instance, Shanghai, I, was, I visited Shanghai over 40 times. I always made it a point to have a nice meal out. And I typically like to do it with a small group of people and enjoy a, you know, a good bottle of wine and it was my way of relaxing when I traveled um, and not being on, just literally being able to kick back a bit and enjoy a good meal. And I love the food of the world. And so it was always on my itinerary. And often I would go back to ones that I'd fallen in love with, obviously River Cafe being at the top of the list. <laughs> I always say when we go to a city, you know, we try and find the market because I think a market tells you also about the culture. You know, if you go to the Rialto, it's noisy and there's fish. You go to a small market in Nice, it's about, you know, the perfect piece of basil and small bunches of salad. And I think markets tell you and restaurants tell you. and Food really tells a story of, of a culture, doesn't it? Yes. By the way, I think the market in, in Nice, I think it was Corsalea. I can't remember the name of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Goes on for blocks and blocks. Yeah. I remember. I, I remember seeing more olives than I'd ever seen. Yeah, in my life. exactly. That's exactly. a wonderful market. There are a few in Paris too that I like and would visit. What about the markets in LA? There are farmers markets. Uh, Willow visits regularly, but we also we have property in LA that has allowed us to plant a quite a nice sized garden. I saw so, it. That's right. You did. Yeah. yeah. And we we grow a lot of citrus. We have great lemons, including Meyer lemon. Mm -hmm. and oranges of all sorts. 
But we also have a thriving garden and, mm-hmm. and frequently eat vegetables from our own garden, which is fun. Mm-hmm. And, and what about when you're on the boat? Do you cook on the boat? When we're on our boat, I do no cooking. We have a great chef and she spoiled us, but we are always interested in, in her shopping and provisioning, mm-hmm. uh, which she enjoys a lot and at times join her mm-hmm. to go to a local market, yeah. which is fun. Or to find great seafood, you know, find... We were in Croatia this summer in uh, a town called Korčula, plying the streets looking for a great fish, for instance. Um, that's always fun, too. Tell me about wine. Did you study wine? Have you I did, yourself? yes. Yeah, it started when I worked at ABC, and I lived in a building on the west side of New York. At the corner of the street that my building was on, there was a wine shop called 67th Street Wines and Liquors. And I had time on my hands as a single man in New York, and one of the salesmen took a liking to me and taught me a tremendous amount about wine and uh, got me interested in an early age well before I could afford a good bottle of wine. <laughs> and over the years, I've collected wine, and uh, I think I probably enjoyed it more than I've collected it, but I, mm. I collect it very much. Do you always have wine with your food? I very rarely have wine at, at lunch. I mean, it's got to be a very special occasion. Although a good glass of rosé sitting outdoors at a cafe on the Place de Vosges in Paris, that's licensed to have a glass of wine. But um, at dinner, it's interesting because I probably had wine maybe three or four times a week pre-pandemic. <laughs> it's probably six times a week since. Um, I like a good glass of wine right before dinner and one at, at a meal. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Do you work over food? Do you, do you go for business lunches? Somewhat. I, I probably pre-pandemic would have two or three business lunches a week. And the other days I'd eat at my desk and, and get work done. And I shun business dinners, hmm. uh, but that was mostly because I wanted to be home having dinner with my family. Yeah. So, And I never believed that a business dinner was a prerequisite for being successful. Yeah. But often I found both business lunches and dinners were always an excuse to turn what could have been a half-hour meeting into a 
two and a half hour meal. And I didn't think that was a very efficient way to manage time. It's interesting how people use restaurants. I would say that, you know, very often people do very private things in a very public space. So sometimes people will use restaurants to, you know, fire someone or to hire someone or to have a marital conflict. You see people crying in restaurants. Not very many people cry in the River Cafe. But what do you look for in a restaurant? Food is obviously critical, quality yeah. of food. I like mood or ambiance a mm. lot. Um, and, you know, thinking about your restaurant, what strikes me is that it takes its food seriously, very seriously, but it doesn't take itself seriously. So they're, meaning it's not um, arrogant in any way. It's inviting, which is great. Mm. I love that. Um, it's also, But it has a real professional feel to it too. And it is the kind of place you do want to hang out in and uh, not just to enjoy the food, to take it all in. And it's also a great crowd. It's great people watching. And it's a, I also find it's a nice place to have quiet celebrations. Yeah, celebrations. The way people are in a restaurant does tell you about the person. Do you agree? Yes. How they mm. treat the people who are serving them mm. is very telling. Mm. Mm. And also the degree to which they appreciate what they're being served. Yeah, it's mm. very true. Did By the way, I fell, in lo- I fell in love with my wife over dinner. Did you? Tell me about it. Where, Absolutely. where was that? Absolutely. What's the story? We had run into one another at an event in New York, and through a variety of complicated circumstances, it took us 18 months to have the first dinner. 18 mm, months. 18 months. Wow. <laughs> Which is extraordinary. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of patience to wait 18 months. Uh, yeah, but for both of us. And there yeah. I was thinking about this woman that I had met 18 months ago, trying to figure out where to take her to dinner. And we went to a restaurant called Allison on Dominic. Dominic is a street in uh, downtown New York, which was uh, not only uh, really good food, but quite romantic. And um, that was our first official date, June 13th, 1994. We we celebrate the anniversary of that date more than we celebrate our wedding anniversary. And, I mean, she claimed that she knew that night (laughs) over a good meal at Allison on Dominic. I think I probably did too, but (laughs) it was the beginning of a great romance and and, uh, now 25 years of marriage. Is the restaurant still there? No, the restaurant is not there. But we've carried on a tradition of having dates uh, since then. I think one one of the nicest parts of my life, and there are many, is just being able to go out to dinner alone with my wife. If I, if I know that I'm doing that, I look forward to it all week. <laughs> it's one of the things I've missed the most out of, uh, from the pandemic is my d- dates with my wife. So occasionally we will bring food into the house and tell our son or our sons we're going you know, down to, we have a, another building on our property to have, have dinner <laughs> just to escape. Food is a connection. Yeah. <laughs> In the graduation speech that I just delivered at the University of Texas, which is where our older son graduated, I, I talked about being bold and, and getting out there and changing the world because there's certainly so much that needs changing and fixing. Uh, but I also talked about embracing life. And the, the, my equivalent of smelling the roses, which is truly appreciating every moment of your life, is savoring great pizza. And uh, so I put that into my speech. <laughs> Because uh, I do love pizza. That is my go-to comfort food. I was um, just going to ask you, is it? It's, so tell me about pizza. 
a good margarita pizza. I don't need, it doesn't need to be fancy. It can be very, very basic. But I'd say if there, if I could only have one meal, that's what it would be. But I talked in the speech about savoring the finer things in life, including friendships and, and relationships, of course, but uh, a great piece of pizza. Well, on that we can end a really lovely conversation about the fact of connection and memories, our friendship, and let's have more meals together, and I'll make you a pizza the next time you come to the River Cafe. To visit the online shop of the River Cafe, go to shoptherivercafe.co.uk. River Cafe Table 4 is a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.